0: Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times said this film got him in touch all over again with how good it feels to work at the top of your form on a story you believe in on Deadline. Rita Kempley of the Washington Post says that it perfectly captures the hubbub of the nation's newsrooms, and she should know. And Letterboxd user Noah Giddle says, I initially had this pegged for a 4.5 star review. But as I kept trying to identify its flaws, I couldn't come up with one. So five stars it is. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the paper.
1: Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood podcast.
2: Greetings, Starfighters, and welcome to Ruined Childhoods. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Fantastic, John. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing okay. We do we do record mostly on Friday nights, so I I feel like for a lot of people, Friday nights are a night of you know getting to relax a little bit and letting the week melt away, but I. Uh, You know, I have a a three-and-a-half-year-old. You have a six-year-old. I feel like in a lot of ways it means this start
2: to a very stressful couple of days. (laughs) Oh, it's just, uh, I mean, weekends are a combination of getting done all the work that didn't get done during the week and figuring out what to do with the six-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That I mean, yeah, it's usually like, I mean, I spend my most of my Saturdays the way I'm spending right now, which is Uh the way I spend most of my week in the same
0: room, talking at a screen,
2: talking to someone at a screen, most likely referencing movies that very few people get. (laughs) Um, So do you get to talk
0: about the paper with them? I feel like that would be an interesting one to explore with your students.
2: The paper would be a great movie to watch with with students. Now, since I teach ninth grade, I teach ninth grade language arts it would be it's something that i would potentially do if i was teaching a journalism class i would i would look at it but there's there's some cool stuff there's some great stuff in in the paper just about writing like th- this week i was talking about word choice with my students and uh-huh. you know it just worked perfectly with all the different little the little scenes where uh, in the paper and i know we're again putting the cart before the horse here but when they're kind with, of going
0: back and forth about headlines and stuff, and with Jeffrey Owens, with Jeffrey Owens, yeah, with Jeffrey
2: Owens, yeah, Um who's
0: kind of the headline guy? He's like design. He's the designer.
2: He designs. He does. The, he like, does yeah. the headlines, and and I think he does. Or who is it? Who's the editor for words? Oh, Clint Howard. Clint Howard. Right. Clint Howard is the That's one who's true. always asking for like you know what's, what's a word for blah, blah, word. Blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. I love That's that. I love one. that. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: before we dive into that. We we should talk about this Sister Act three news.
2: Yeah, so just uh, for for the uninitiated, those who might be joining us for the first time. So first of all, this podcast is welcome. all all about yeah. Welcome, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. buy a t shirt. Uh, <laughs> but this podcast is all about revisiting old movies, and it doesn't. They can be cult classics. They could be straight up classics. They could just be hits from previous years. Movies yeah, weird, that got fun slept ones. on. Yeah, yeah, like weird, fun ones that only like John and I watched in our household. That that were whatever got stuck in the VCR. Whatever got stuck <laughs> in the VCR. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're not just going back and revisiting those movies. We're talking yeah. about what. Uh, if if there's a new life for them, if if let's say Disney Plus decides uh, after listening to an episode of an awesome podcast that there is an audience for Sister Act 3 <laughs> yeah. and there is a venue for it, um, right? it comes to be. <laughs> it comes to pass.
0: Yeah. Now, Dan, I don't know if you saw a different article than I did, but I, s- I noticed that you posted something, I think, on our social media on our instagram yeah. mm-hmm. that did it actually have the words old habits die hard in it or
2: was that did you do that no it was actually no, that was authentic. in
3: oh,
2: oh yeah no no that was that was in there old that's exactly what i was thinking it i was like feels like somebody has to be listening who's in any way involved with that
4: and it's just listen, too
2: weird of a coincidence if you're listening and you're sitting there like oh no, I got caught. This is not a bad thing. No, no. No.
0: Let us know. We'd love to know. Email us.
2: If you have, if you have taken any of our, if you are Hollywood (laughs) and you have taken any of our ideas, um, please just shoot us an email at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Let us in on it. We're probably not going to ask for money. Uh, (laughs) Maybe we'll ask you to buy a t-shirt. We would ask you to buy. They're not just t-shirts. You can get
0: them on Tote bags, notebooks. You mugs. could get a mask. You could get you a mask. Get a face mask for some. You of could our get designs. a face
2: mask with the silhouette of Mr. Jesse Plemons. Is on that
0: it. one available as a face mask? I can't remember what I am toggles. Pretty, I
2: switched on. I am fairly certain <laughs> it is. Um. Well, but a it, sister act three on Disney Plus. That's so yeah. exciting! I'm excited so about it. It's happening. Tyler Perry's involved, which yeah. I think is 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 the makes right way to of go. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I'm excited. Well, you know, it's like. Tyler Tyler Perry makes stuff happen. Tyler Perry's a, sure. uh, you know, hit machine and I think working and Tyler Perry he's also worked with Whoopi. So, right. Mm-hmm. Um now I don't know if he is directing this. We we don't know I think who it just is says directing. produce
0: producing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
2: co-co-producing. Yeah. But that's exciting. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm curious to see what happens. There is Will Harvey Keitel come back.
0: That's a great question.
2: So, we've got uh
0: a lot of news going on with, with Disney+. Plus. They just announced a whole ton of stuff. I'm not even going to go mentioning any of that because there's just too much to talk about, aside from Sister Act <laughs> 3, of course. So what I did want to mention is I did see an article on Slash Film about a uh, they, they are again rebooting uh, Green Hornet. And oh. uh, Dan, did you see the, was it 2011, the Green Hornet I think, with Seth Rogen?
2: I, I think so, Christoph yeah. Christoph Waltz. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was s- 2011. I saw it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I love Michel Gondry, so mm-hmm. I might just be prone to enjoying anything that he does. And Seth Rogen is fun, and Christoph Waltz is a great villain. So how could it be that bad? I remember but, it being fun. Yeah. yeah, and this new reboot, do you know who's writing it? No, I don't. A little guy named David Kep, who wrote... A oh. little movie called The Paper. The Paper. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. So David Kep also wrote Jurassic Park. Tons, tons of amazing. Like if you look at his filmography, you'll be like, "Oh, I know literally all of these movies." Yeah. So yeah. Uh, big,
2: big hit maker, especially like nineties.
0: Yeah. Let me let me go down the list a little bit. Yeah. So we have. Toy Soldiers, Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way, The Paper, The Shadow, Mission Impossible, uh, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Snake Eyes, Star of Echoes, Panic Room, Spider-Man, the first the the two thousand two Spider-Man, That's right, yeah. War of the Worlds, zathora Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Okay, uh, Ghost Town, Angels and Demons, um, Premium Rush, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, More, uh, He directed but did not write Mordecai, uh, The Mummy. So, like, dude, just did a ton, ton, ton of stuff. He's been, he wrote this one with his brother, Stephen.
2: Yeah, that's right. Who was who a was journalist, editor in chief of Time, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so David kept, awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. He's working yeah. on the Green Hornet.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited about it. I, I, I have to say, Dan, um, I watched the paper a few months ago. And I was so excited to just watch it again. And I have a feeling that I'm going to watch this movie maybe once a year until the day I die. It's just – it's it has to be in, like, my top ten movies, maybe it's, even five.
2: Wow. Okay. It's – I do – I before we before we get into the paper, I do <laughs> okay. have a, one more thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. For grumpy old men. No, that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about our, you know, possibilities for grumpy old men – I thought to myself, well, why wouldn't this work as a musical? Especially if you, in crafting that musical, kind of combined grumpy old men and grumpier old men so that yeah. you have the, the Anne Sophie Margaret Loren. character and yeah. the Sophia Loren character, and you have those stories, and you've got that whole arc for the Burgess Meredith character. And I feel like the, it, it would set up a lot of great moments for songs, both between Gus, or sorry, uh, John and, and Max. And mm-hmm. between the um, Jacob and um, uh, Melanie, Melanie, Daryl yeah. Hannah and, and Kevin Pollak characters, you could see them involved. But you also have all these great other characters. Like imagine Anne Margaret, like Chuck. Yeah, I mean, throw. You could add spaghetti, uh, um, uh, spaghetti, S- spaghetti rigetti, spaghetti rigetti, spaghetti <laughs> rigetti. Why not bring in spaghetti rigetti? Right. Well,
0: also you you also have the setting, Slippery's
2: Tavern. Uh, you know, yeah. use that more. I want to well, see you, more right. slipperies. Well, you've got slipperies, you've got the bait shop. Right. Um, you know, like the ice fishing shack. I, I think it oh, yeah. could really work well. I mean, imagine the curtain coming up on all on that like little ice shack village in totally. um in the first one. And I mean, you know, I don't know who you would get to, to be in it, but I mean at this point, is it far fetched to say, like, I don't know, maybe Nathan Lane? Yeah, right. Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Forget it. They're the grumpy old men now.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, or Nathan Lane and Mark Lynn Baker. If you really want to,
2: if you really want to go there. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So I was just, I was thinking about that and thinking, uh, you know, if I was maybe of, of all things like grumpy old men could actually make a really sweet musical. I totally agree. And that's all I have to say about that. And now let's talk about the paper.
0: Um, yeah. So Dan, do you do you know the story about how like the paper actually came about? The partnership between David Kep and Ron Howard. I don't know. Okay, so there's there's way more to the story than what I'm about to tell you because there, there's a lot going on with Imagine Entertainment, which was actually this movie actually exists because of a reboot. Imagine Entertainment, the uh, the production company that you know features Ron Howard and Brian Grazer at the, at the head, they wanted to, they were getting too tied up in like pumping out all of these like big, big, big movies that were kind of missing a little bit. They were not like, I don't know, performing as well. Mm -hmm. And Ron Howard and Brian Grazer wanted to kind of take like scale it back and do more like simple movies, like things like the paper And there was this whole thing with, you know, they had to basically pay off all, pay out all the investors and there were a bunch of lawsuits and stuff. And eventually they ended up getting back control of Imagine Entertainment so that they could really reformat the way that it worked out. And Ron Howard was really wanting to do a movie that took place in a, in a newsroom for a newspaper and focus on that world a little bit. And he uh, took a meeting with David Kep as a potential writer for, I don't even know if it was for this specific project. And David Kep was kind of just singing Ron Howard's praises about parenthood and was just like gushing about parenthood. And Ron Howard was just like, all right, okay, I like this guy. I like this guy. And, you know, instead of Ron Howard telling him, I want to do a movie about a newspaper newsroom. Uh, he was kind of just so like laid back and relaxed. He was just like, "So what what are you working on? Like what kind of projects do you have going on?" And he was like, "Well, I'm writing something with my brother about a newspaper newsroom and all the things that go on in the day in the life of a newspaper." And Ron Howard was just like, "Oh my god. This is perfect." And I think that they Instantly, we're just like, all right, let's do this, and um, yeah. So it it's came about fa- that
2: way. So it's uh, that's awesome, and it's fascinating because I've always felt that this movie is like a companion piece to Parenthood. I I guess, especially in the oeuvre of Ron Howard, in, right? In his work, I felt like you know, Parenthood, that ensemble comedy that really deftly handled a wide range of characters yeah. kept the stories straight kept the audience engaged and provided humor but also some actual meaning i felt the paper really was ron howard's only other movie definitely that time and possibly since that captured that same energy of totally. of a of a really just strong Ensemble, you know. I guess the common bond being Jason Robards, although he, you know, pops up. But I loved this movie. I loved it from the first time I saw it at the Cranford Twin uh, (laughs) Fall Fall or sorry, Spring nineteen ninety four. Okay, I loved it. Yeah, I just remember loving. I loved that that feeling the and the the dialogue, the fast paced dialogue. That sure that feeling that you get in that newsroom. Well that- I think
0: that new you know newsrooms especially like newspaper newsrooms pre-internet are just so fascinating and you know if you hey Jason Robards all the president's men you know oh, yeah. like you think about the movies like that and Even recently with The Post getting back into, you know, the Washington Post uh, newsroom at that time. And it's exciting. You know, there's a lot. It's a it's an organism. It's got its own like ecosystem going on in there. It's exciting.
2: And I you know what? Actually, I I'm sorry, because I'm about to jump into like things that I really appreciate about it. And I imagine that you you would want to get to a synopsis before I start singing the praises of the paper. Dan,
0: I want to get into about six
2: synopses. There's quite because
0: a Because I wrote a synopsis for each
2: of the main characters. Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> All right. I, I, I'm going to unmute. I'm going to go uh, <laughs> take a walk. <laughs>
0: so I really felt like the best way, because, okay, you can do a synopsis that's so basic, which is just like, this movie takes place over the course of 24 hours at a newspaper. And, you know, and it's like there's... In order to really understand this movie, you have to see it from everybody's different perspectives going into it. At the core of the movie is Henry Hackett. So that's Michael Keaton's character. Uh, I am going, you know, the movie's through his eyes mostly. So you ready? Go for it. Henry Hackett is the Metro editor for the New York Sun a tabloid newspaper that's known for over-the-top headlines and tales of celebrity hookups. But when Henry wakes up one morning and discovers that all of the big papers covered a huge story about two men in Williamsburg shot to death in their car with Whitey spray-painted on the side, and The Sun featured a nothing story about parking tickets. Heading into work with a chip on his shoulder about good journalism, Henry has a little secret. He has an interview at The Sentinel, a big-time newspaper with all the bells and whistles. As the day rolls on and Henry is several Coca-Colas deep, two young black kids who are seen at the shot-up car are taken into custody. But one of Henry's columnist colleagues overhears on the police scanner that it's all for show and the police don't think these kids really did it. Henry's determined to get the story right and argues with his managing editor to get the real story rather than printing the headline "Gotcha" on a story that might be inaccurate. They strike up a deal. If they can get a photograph at the 7pm perp walk, they run gotcha. If not, they run a front page story about a derailed train. Henry sends their most junior photographer to get the photo, knowing that it's unlikely that she will get anything at all. At Henry's interview with the Sentinel, he's essentially handed a cushy new job, but Henry can't stop thinking about the story about these two kids who were arrested. He tricks the Sentinel's editor to turn his back, and he catches a glimpse at his notepad, giving him a solid lead to really cracking the story. Itching to do some investigative reporting, Henry's wife Martha, who is eight and a half months pregnant and on maternity leave, finds out for Henry that the men who were killed were investment bankers who lost eight million dollars for a local organized crime unit. The only thing that Henry needs now is a quote from the police confirming that these two kids are innocent, but he doesn't have time because he promised Martha that he would meet her for dinner with her parents but he can't let the story go. He leaves abruptly and goes with McDougal, the columnist, to the police precinct. They manage to get a quote out of one of the cops saying they didn't do it. Henry rushes back to the sun and discovers that the paper is already running gotcha since the rookie photographer lucked into a miracle shot of the two kids. Doing her best to cut costs, the managing editors still made them run the story, even though they had the truth in their pockets. Henry refused to get the story wrong, while they had the right information and does everything he can to stop the presses and even gets into a brawl with the managing editor, who ends up winning. Defeated, Henry heads home, only to find an ambulance outside. Martha began a hemorrhage and was in danger of losing the baby and possibly her own life. After a long night of waiting, Henry gets to meet his new baby and comfort his wife. That's when he sees the new edition of The Sun with the headline, They Didn't Do It,
2: on the front page. I know there's a lot missing, but hopefully the blanks oh. will
0: be filled in by the rest of these.
2: Oh, the rest of them. And sorry, just just to point out, um, to make things even worse and more awkward, Henry and, and Martha are having dinner with his parents. Oh, is it his parents? I thought it was her parents. It's his parents, which is oh. what makes it even more awkward when he like shows up for two minutes and then leaves. You know, I
0: totally, I totally blanked on that. Yeah. Hmm. Fair enough. I will have so, to edit my synopsis from the, from Martha's perspective.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, because her <laughs> it's a lot different there.
0: Well, why don't I do that one next? All right. All right. Martha, Marty Hackett, is a damn good investigative journalist. She has a ton of connections and a way of getting people to talk. But that's all on hold while she's on maternity leave, currently eight and a half months pregnant with Henry's baby. While grabbing lunch with an old friend, who is already a mother... She realizes that her idea that she would come back to work and be a respected journalist again is probably not going to work out. At least not unless Henry gets a job at the Sentinel so they can afford to support their child and maybe even have more time to spend at home. Realizing that she has a chance to get a taste of the action once she's at the son's office, she jumps at the opportunity to follow up on a lead. Financial information for two investment bankers who were recently killed. All that's left for her is to get Henry to meet her for dinner with his parents who drove two hours to get into the city. After he is late to dinner, Henry confesses that he isn't getting the sentinel job and that he has to go finish his story. Henry and Martha get into a huge fight and Henry chooses his job over his family, which only confirms Martha's fears about parenthood and her chances of having a career ever again. After she gets home, she collapses, having hemorrhaged. She calls 911 and an ambulance takes her to the hospital. The doctor's all the while saying scary things. Henry does happen to catch her as she's heading to the hospital, but he has to wait as they operate. They manage to save Martha and the baby, who's very healthy. In the morning, Henry apologizes, but Martha lets him off the hook, given the significance of such a harrowing night. That one doesn't give you too much more information. But just wait until you you hear this one about Alicia Clark. Oh, yes. (laughs) So, this is uh, Glenn Close's character. Alicia Clark is the managing editor of the New York Sun, a tabloid newspaper that's known for over-the-top headlines and hot takes on penile implants. Having come from the fast-paced world of reporting, Alicia's journalistic integrity has taken a nosedive now that her job is more about getting the paper to print on time. All the while, she is trying her best to get a raise from the Sun's owner and having an affair with Carl, one of the reporters. Having a constant battle with Henry, she becomes jealous of his interview at the Sentinel, which only increases their already existing rivalry. On this particular day, she's pushing for a front page feature on a minor train derailment simply because one person was maimed and they have a photo of it. Trying to compromise with Henry, she agrees to run a story on the two black kids who were arrested for the murder of the two white businessmen in Williamsburg, as long as they get a good photo. But since that's not enough for Henry, who wants to prove that these kids didn't commit the crime, she gives him an extension to go to print, which will cost them tens of thousands of dollars in union driver fees. But he can only run the story if he gets a quote from a cop saying that the kids didn't do it. When Henry finally gets it, it's already too late and Alicia started running the story that the kids did do it, with the headline, GOTCHA. She and Henry get into a fight that she ultimately wins. Henry reminds her that she used to have journalistic integrity after she wins the fight. Having won the battle, she still feels defeated. She is invited to the bar that the Sun staff goes to, except she had always been left out. After a talk with one of the columnists, McDougal, Alicia realizes that she was wrong to run the incomplete story and finds a payphone to call the presses to run the other plate. Meanwhile, a brawl breaks out in the bar and a gun fires. The bullet goes through the wall and hits Alicia in the leg. She's rushed to the hospital, but never was able to get through to the press room to finish the order. She refuses to sign the release to remove the bullet at the hospital until she can use a phone and write her wrong,
2: which is awesome, and I love it. It's magnificent. I love if I can just comment for a moment on Glenn Close's performance. Oh, totally, so wonderfully nuanced. I mean, like it's Glenn, you know, Glenn Close. We're not surprised she gave a great performance, but that moment. After she gets shot and she's just, the bullet came out of the wall. Yeah. The, the a bu- bullet came out it, of the wall. A bu- bullet came out of the wall. Like, she's just <laughs> so confused. I love that moment for her. It's so great. For me, this is maybe her best performance.
0: For me. Just, for, you know, my opinion. Um, yeah. And it should also be noted that her character was originally written as a man, I think named Alan. And when it was decided to change it to a woman and change the name to Alicia, I don't think they changed any of the dialogue with the exception maybe of the one, you know, off conversation she's having about being taken to the the dinner that she goes to that night. Aside from that, I think every single line was kept the same, which is awesome.
2: Still has the affair, but is having the affair, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Um, Yeah. With Carla. with Carl, yeah, or with Carl, <laughs> I don't know, but um, Carmen, there we go, Carmen, Carmen, yeah, that's a character so, in it. Although there is Carmen, she's the one who, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, she's the uh, the
0: reporter who um, is trying to get into the police precinct. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. she's uh, she's great, but oh man, there is something else I wanted that I was I was thinking about Glenn Close and and her performance in this, but um, it. Oh, like the difference. The one one thing that's so wonderful about that change is that the newsroom, this newsroom, even though there are women who work there, it's still very much a boys' club. Sure. And there's a lot of those really just like ribald, blue jokes that they're making, especially um, totally. Duvall. Um, and yeah, we'll get to him in a minute. You see her discomfort in moments. You yeah. also see her trying to play along, yeah, but you see that discomfort one of the and, yeah. yeah,
0: one of the moments that I also really like is you know, when they're having those you know staff meetings that they think think they have like two each day, there's the one like older woman who's going through stories, and she was like, "Henry, you'll find this one interesting. The whale in Ukraine had triplets, and he was like, "Ah, she told me she was on the pill." <laughs> like, yeah, the, like." Those scenes, they feel so natural to me. Their their yes. exchanges feel so good, and you know, it's true. In '94, I'm sure that a lot of these newsrooms felt that way. You know, with a lot of the like blue humor coming from like all the male colleagues, and I mean, not to say that the not women only in this the male movie, colleagues, <laughs> well, yeah, but not to say that the women in this movie weren't. You know, they were definitely respected, and There was even the point when Henry and Alicia are having the fight where, you know, she like hits him, but anytime he like accidentally knocks her over, he feels so bad. And like, you can tell that he's trying not to get into a fight with her, but it keeps on kind of happening accidentally. Well, she plays it up too. She totally does. That's yeah. awesome. It's, it's so, so great.
2: And I, I'm i sorry, I while we're talking about that scene, I know we're just going a little bit out of order here. But I had to point out, I had a couple of points when I was watching it where I made IMDb trivia notes. Okay. And one of those was during that scene because... In this scene, Michael Keaton's character, Henry, gets to say, stop the presses, which is what Jack Nicholson says. Jack Nicholson says. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So what I love about that, and that moment is so great, because you know that you want him to say, stop the presses. And then McDougal, Randy Quaid's character, is like, you're not going to say it. You got to say it. Totally calling it out.
2: Yeah. Love it.
0: So let's talk about McDougal. Let's. McDougal is a columnist for the New York Sun, a tabloid newspaper that's known for over-the-top headlines and any story worldwide, as long as someone from New York was in any way involved. He just released a story about corruption at the parking enforcement office, pinning the blame on a guy named Marion Sandusky. Paranoid that Sandusky is after him, McDougal hides out at the Sun's office. On this particular day, McDougal is crashing on the couch in Henry's office, hearing nothing but random conversations and the police scanner. When a bunch of people are hollering in Henry's office, McDougal is woken and gets everyone's attention by firing a gun into a stack of newspapers. After the room clears, McDougal tells Henry that he heard some cops on the police scanner talking about how the two black teens who were arrested for the murder of two white businessmen in Williamsburg weren't guilty. Having followed up on this lead, Henry returns in need of McDougal's help. Insisting that he's just a columnist, McDougal is reluctant, but Henry convinces him to pitch in. They head to the police station and corner a cop who's worked with McDougal in the past. Henry gets them to finally admit anonymously, but on the record, that these kids didn't do it. Henry and McDougal rush back to the office as McDougal writes and writes and writes. They finish the article just as they notice that the presses have started running. McDougal and Henry rush down and try to stop the press so they can switch the plates. After Henry and the managing editor, Alicia, get into a brawl, which Alicia wins, McDougal leaves defeated. When he sees that his car is getting towed for being double parked, Alicia offers to give him a ride to the bar. McDougal explains to Alicia over a drink that journalistic integrity is all they have, thus his disappointment. Alicia is convinced to right her wrong and goes off to a payphone. Meanwhile, Sandusky, who has been drinking at the bar with the son's editor-in-chief, spots McDougal and the two get into a huge fight. When McDougal's gun slides down the floor, Sandusky grabs it and swings it around a bit. It accidentally goes off and shoots a hole in the wall, hitting Alicia in the leg. The
2: fight that he has with Sandusky. Oh, it's talk about believability. The part when you have, because, all right, we see these. So Sandusky is
0: played by Jason Alexander. So, first of all, you know that looking at Jason Alexander and Randy Quaid, it's, you know, could you find people who look that much more different other than if you're watching twins? (laughs)
2: <laughs> um and the, yeah so this fight is absolutely ridiculous but i feel like this fight actually kind of looks the way that a fight especially yeah. between two people who don't fight who don't fight look yeah. they're on the floor kicking at each other and i was just like that's hilarious that is that's what would happen totally totally um sorry yeah so- and
0: and i mean I'll also say this. I feel like Randy Quaid's performance in this might be one of my favorite of his performances.
4: What do you want me to say? You want me to say good job? You want me to say you struck a blow for journalistic integrity today? You can't do it. You abused your position to settle a person's score. That's what it is, live with it. Henry was right. Oh, <laughs> Cheryl, double bourbon up. What do you
1: mean Henry was right? Can I have doers on the rocks, please? Henry was glib, that's all. Everything I used to hate. I mean, what does that even mean? No. I mean, Henry wouldn't even have a newspaper to work on if I hadn't saved
4: it. Henry doesn't have a newspaper to work on.
1: Oh, please. We're not, you know, exactly the Washington Post, okay?
4: No. No, we're not. We run stupid headlines because we think they're funny. Mm -hmm. We run maimings on the front page because we got good art. And I spend three weeks bitching about my car because it sells papers. But at least it's the truth. As far as I can remember, we never ever, ever knowingly got a story wrong. Until tonight.
0: Granted, the guy is a a lunatic in real life. He had some great moments as an actor, and I think that this is one of the best. Um, You know, you love him in Independence Day. You love him in Quick Change. But this one, he just feels like a real person.
2: Yeah, although in Independence Day, the real person he feels like is Randy Quaid circa 2020. (laughs) I know. So.
0: (laughs) When did you get so
1: paranoid?
4: When they started plotting against me.
0: So uh, I touched upon the son's, I'm pretty sure he's the editor-in-chief. I don't know if they ever really say what his title is, but Bernie White. So here we go. Bernie White has a few problems. His daughter won't talk to him, his prostate is the size of a mango, and the newspaper he edits is a 24-7 shit show. You're looking at me funny. What? A bagel? I thought he said a mango.
2: No, a bagel. A bagel. (laughs) <laughs> All right. It's, I, every time I watched it, I heard mango. Well, think about—I mean, which which item of food would a prostate more likely uh, <laughs> resemble? Yeah,
0: pretty much. All right, Bernie so, White has a few problems. His daughter won't talk to him. His prostate is the size of it. Bagels can be different sizes, though. That's my problem with it. Even this if was he before did say they that. had
2: mini bagels. This was before Thomas's mini bagels. Sure, uh, or
0: or squagles coming in different
2: shapes too. Yeah. No, that was a thing in like 2000. The only reason why I remember that's like one of those lines that I have never forgotten since the first time seeing that, that movie. Cause then there's the callback later and that's true. There is. Yeah. Yeah. What's up his ass bagel.
0: (laughs) All right. Bernie white has a few problems. His daughter won't talk to him. His prostate is the size of a full size bagel and the newspaper he edits is a 24 seven shit show. Starting from the beginning, his adult daughter wants nothing to do with him because he was a terrible father, ruining his marriage by sleeping with a bunch of his reporters and simply never being around. Now that his health is failing, he feels major remorse and wants to make amends, so he tracks her down and finds out that she's married with a kid. And the paper? He's the editor in chief of the New York Sun, a tabloid newspaper that's known for over the top headlines and puff pieces about Ukrainian whale triplets. He doesn't have to do much there, aside from making sure that everyone does their jobs, mostly leaning on his managing editor, Alicia. He commiserates with a random guy at a bar with a familiar name, Sandusky. When he finally realizes who he is, it's too late. The brawl breaks out and Bernie hits the road. He ends up at his daughter's front steps, seeing her family through the window. When a newspaper is tossed at her front door, Bernie hides, but sees that she still subscribes to the sun and doesn't seem to hate it. So... Uh-huh. I really, I, I don't love Robert Duvall. I really, I thought he was in great general? in, in general. I thought he was I, great in Falling Down.
2: Uh, have you ever seen Tender? We know, I think we talked about this on the Falling Down episode. Tender Mercies. No, I haven't. Okay. I don't know. I, I just
0: like his whole vibe. I just can't get down with most of the time. Okay. All right. I'll watch, t- I'll watch yeah. ten, I'll watch, I'll watch it. I'll mercies. watch it. I'll watch it. So, mercies. but I, but I do really like him in this. I do really like him in this. Um. Yeah. His his role in this makes a lot more sense. It's like he fits this role a lot better than I feel like a lot of other things that he's been in.
2: It's similar. It's like similar to Falling Down where he's this career guy who neglects everything else. Yeah, and that's true. In this, I feel much more like he has made the conscious choice that when he had to choose between being a family man and being good at his job... He and he was like, you know what? If it makes me like this is what I'm going to do. If it makes me shitty, then it makes me shitty. He seems yeah. to have accepted the fact he he has accepted that, I guess, up to this point.
0: Right. Yeah, he feels a lot of remorse. Uh I also I love the scene where he and Henry are out on the roof and uh you know, Henry's kind of going to him for guidance and he has this, he says that I don't have the quote in front of me, but he says this thing about being a a father figure. And
2: uh, I got to just like find it. There's also so many interesting choices that Duvall makes with delivery. And he does these like physical things like in the middle of lines and he'll stop like when he's talking about Henry's job interview.
4: Henry has an interview at At the Sentinel. Sentinel. Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's he's kind of doing like a Pacino thing,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, at the Sentinel, he does it a few times. He does it with the daughter, does like the little like taps her mm-hmm. head, and it's like, huh, oh, that's a unique thing. Um, yeah, it, there's a lot of things that it's like he's just kind of accepted, like, this is who I am. Like, he's smoking, he's chain smoking right. while he's coughing all over the place. Another one of those meeting moments is when he has that coughing fit the and cough. then just yeah. goes to uh, Alicia.
3: Bah. I get any on you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: That, and that cough, it just, oh. you, it makes you hurt, especially during COVID times right now. Oh boy. Uh, so the, the quote that he says when he's on the roof with, uh, with uh, Michael Keaton is, the problem with being my age is everyone thinks you're a father figure, but you're really just the same asshole you always were. And I just love that. You know, and it's, he's acknowledging, like, don't look to me for advice. I'm just a piece of
2: shit. It's so funny because it's such a... We were talking about the connection to parenthood, and I feel like it's a companion line to yeah. the line that Keanu Reeves has the driver's about license, yeah. being a father. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, Miss Buckman, you need a license to buy a dog or... Drive a car. Hell, you need a license to catch a
2: fish. But don't let any butt reaming asshole be a father. And, and not the same writers. No, no, no. But
0: but you know, clearly David Kep was influenced, perhaps
2: in a way. You, I don't know. Yeah, well, he's no, clearly a not, fan of Parenthood. Yeah, and it's not like it's the same thing, but it has that that same vibe has that same same feeling to it
0: yeah um i also kind of like how bernie is you know like i said he kind of has his own things going on like his stories you know he's there at the paper he's running the meetings he's drinking orange soda but he's you know he his role with the actual production of the paper is pretty minimal His stories are really focused on his personal life and it's a very, they're full stories. You know, he is, his health is failing and he has a lot of remorse about how things went with his child and he doesn't get his happy ending. He, uh, but you learn all this stuff about him and you in a very short amount of time get his like full, you get the impression of him like from like the full story Mm
4: -hmm. and,
0: uh, It still fits, even though it's not directly about the, you know, all of the other plot lines. It's it's very own separate thing. Although it I
2: don't entirely agree there. It's separate in in terms of plot, but in terms of theme, you have Henry who's on the verge of becoming a father. And who's also Henry has that, you know, is he gonna is he making that same choice? Is he Choosing to be, you know, when when he chooses work over family, is he making that same choice and he sees oh, what totally. his future could be?
0: Yeah. But the thing is it's not a overt connection. I mean, clearly no. if you're thinking about it, you know, yeah, definitely. And it's there's a just so, connection. There's just so much going on, and I feel like everything that's going on it feels very complete. And it's not like this movie's four hours long where it takes time to like really go into these stories, but you get everything you need from them
2: without feeling like you've been ripped off. And to your point, they cover because they have you have every type of you've got, you know, the page six editor who's making the who's banging who chart. You've got all of that. But you also have the sense of like, all right, well, what is it like starting in the business with Robin? Yeah. for nervous for who glenn close says uh, she's 14 years old which right i feel like that's a bit of a joke but um oh, yeah she's not 14 yeah, yeah. but just because you don't just see like all right these these you know older reporters i love that you've got the guy with the bad back who's complaining about his chair oh you mean phil phil <laughs> phil yeah
0: Phil is a reporter at the New York Sun, a tabloid newspaper where he's treated like garbage. His colleagues blow cigarette smoke in his face, he's mocked relentlessly, and his chair is giving him a major back problem. He lobbies for a new $600 chair, which he eventually gets, but his colleagues prank him by swapping it with a shitty old stool. Go ahead, Dan. That's my last one.
2: Did you really have a synopsis for Phil? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. That's fantastic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's the only one who has like this mini like side story going on that comes back and it's part of their day in like this really bizarre way but it's like that's what would be really happening is like all this stuff be going on and this one guy is just like no today is the day Mm -hmm. i don't care what happens
1: i'm getting my chair i bought
3: it why did she get the poignant shit Bought the goddamn chair. This is the last straw, Henry. For Christ's sake. This is the last
2: straw. What exactly were the previous straws? Now
1: it's you
3: your know? problem, Henry.
2: And it's one of those touches, and all of the aspects from the desks that are just piles of file folders, just yeah. overflowing. The cigarette smoke. The the person who's like working, fixing like something in the ceiling while everything. is Oh yeah, else the is AC
0: isn't working. Like. Yeah, this feels it's 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 an organism. It is a living breathing place.
2: Uh, you but know, it, it's not just a set. But you also get the sense that like it's not right, it's not glamorized. And you also get the sense that yeah, these people are working insane hours. Yeah. And like doing really like journalism, chasing down a story is difficult, is challenging. <laughs> Yeah, and you have and to then, do it fast. And then when you go to the Sentinel office and you
0: see this very organized, sanitized place where you don't really hear much aside from like phones ringing and like a soft like mutter of voices. And it's just like, it's a, such a different environment. And it's like, Henry clearly doesn't
2: belong there, you know? Right. He, Which I felt like that was a little, I I thought that maybe the Sentinel might have been just slightly, I know it's supposed to be the New York Times. Right. I have to imagine that the New York Times offices would be a little more chaotic than that, but I, I get the point. I feel like it was extra sanitized sure. and quiet and orderly to make that that contrast, whereas I don't feel like the the Sun's newsroom mm-hmm. is exaggerated that much. If at all.
0: Right. Yeah. And you notice know, talk while we're on the topic of the Sentinel, um, you know, you have Spalding Gray, who's the, is he the managing editor there? I think he's something. Like I that. believe and, so. Yeah. And I think that Henry's going for like assistant or like associate managing editor or something, which is. or one out for Spalding Gray. I know. Yeah. But he's so good. He's so good in this. Um, he's great. You know, and he's like polished he's got like the bow tie and he's just like the vibe is so different from like even the people at the sentinel to the people at the sun
2: which is what makes it so funny when he's all pissed later at henry and and they're on the phone
1: paul you are the most unethical unprincipled i cannot believe you had the balls to do it slow 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 down slow down What what are you talking about God
3: damn! you know what I'm talking about, the, the, the Sedona item. Well, you stole it right off my desk. Ah. Uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh, my ass. Come on, you know,
1: you stole it. Well, well, hold on a second here, Paul. If we were working on a Sedona thing, how how would you know about it? I mean, I hope the Sentinel doesn't have a mole over here. Did you or did
3: you not take the item?
1: Because, uh, gee, if they did, you know, they could get you in a lot of trouble for something like that. In fact, it might even be illegal, I'm not sure, but I can check on that for you if you want. Oh, come on, cut the bullshit. You know what? Why don't I do that? Hold on a second. Janet, Henry, get Dick Pallone in the DA's office for me, okay? Just tell him I want to ask him a question. Don't worry, I'm not going to... I'm going to keep you totally out of this. I just
3: want to ask him a question, okay?
1: I'll check on that for you, Paul.
3: Give it up, Henry, give it up. Our guy saw McDougal banging on doors all over the Justice Department. Now, I'm going to ask you one last time. Did you or did you not take the item?
1: Well, Paul... You realized you were talking to a journalist. Dick, who? I realize, you know, this doesn't exactly get us off on the right foot.
3: The right foot? Are you out of your mind? Why, the office rescinded.
1: Uh, How stupid do you think we are? Paul, listen.
3: When I put two and two together three? Three and a half?
1: And hey, Paul. Oh, look, I'm car. trying to I'm trying to be reasonable why, why, here. just let me.
3: Why, why don't you just uh, take my wallet as well? Hey. Let, let me, me ta- let me say something. Oh, wait. A- well, I hope you're satisfied, asshole. You just blew your chance to cover the world.
1: Really? Well, guess fucking what? I don't really fucking care. You want to know fucking why? Because I don't, don't live, in live in the world. I live in goddamn New York. Whatever he says. New York City. So go. Fuck
2: yourself! Yeah, and it's so funny how even though Spalding Gray's character is he's upset and he he's angry and he, and he's yelling, but he still can't help being that snide douche about like we cover the world. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's just not who Henry
2: is. No. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is why Michael Keaton.
0: Oh my God, Michael Keaton is so good in this.
2: Look, I'm sure in, you know, 93, 94, when they were making this, I'm sure there were other actors that might have been considered by... Well, I
0: know that um, Kevin Costner was considered, Robin Williams was considered, who Robin Williams, I feel like, could have, you know, done a solid job with it. But it is hard to imagine it, anybody aside from Michael
2: Keaton. He's just, there's certain, there's the, there's things that he does, just Michael Keaton. Yeah. That work for this character. Like when he's trying to, he's call he's trying to get Chuck, get me Chuck. And he's gets to that point where he just goes into that, like almost beetlejuice voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. His energy is really fun and spastic, which you can attribute to the, you know, dozen or so Cokes that he drinks throughout the day. And, um, you know, it's, he just works in that role. And uh, I don't know, it's, you can't take your eyes off him.
2: No, no. And yeah, he, he's such a great actor, I think, to be on screen with. Right. And he and Marissa Tomei,
0: who plays his wife, Marty, have Mm -hmm. such great chemistry.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to point out the Spider-Man connection. Well,
0: yeah, Spider-Man, um, (laughs) The latest iteration, not far from, home. not yeah, far or from homecoming. Home. He's
2: in the first, he's in homecoming. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, homecoming. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, interesting because the other, so
2: sor- sorry to tangent a little bit here, but yeah. um, it, it just occurred because it just occurred to me that it was also announced in the ultimate Disney presser that mm. Christian Bale was going to be joining the cast of the next Thor movie as the villain. Oh, yeah. So I'm yeah, thinking yeah. about how many former Batman. I've moved on to play Marvel villains.
0: <laughs> you know what? There's always a vacancy to be a new Marvel
2: villain. Paging Ben Affleck and George Clooney. Man, I wish Val Kilmer's health was better.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we got Marissa Tomei, who's just excellent in this. You know, I, I think that she's always great.
2: IMDB trivia. Mm-hmm. When Miss, When Marissa Tomei is talking about the uh the mob money that was lost, she suggests the joke uh the joke article title the joke headline "Dumb Fellas" making fun of good Fellas, which starred Joe Pesci, her co star, and my cousin Vinny. Okay,
0: that's IMDb going,
2: trivia. <laughs> yeah, I am Dan Blathering. Uh, well, th- so no, come on, tell me. Tell <laughs> I was confused as to why that wasn't. As soon as she said that, I was like, "Is that in the trivia?"
0: <laughs> Come on! I don't know. That one's a bit of a departure. That one would have that one would have been an IMDb trivia because it is so mundane and kind of who cares?
2: <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, that's why I called them IMDb <laughs> trivia because it's just coincidence. So, it's yeah, not right.
0: Yeah, it's just like everybody's working at the time, so you're gonna be in it's the like, same. You're gonna be in yes, the yes, dumb fellas,
2: because Goodfellas was a really big movie a couple of years before this. Yeah, so it makes. sense. I also.
0: Do they still do that where movies reference other recent movies? I feel like that's something that used to happen a lot more. Well, out outside of like this type of context? Yeah, I feel like in in the 90s, I and I can't come up with off the top of my head any other examples, but I remember watching something recently, and there was a reference to another movie that had come out like that year, the year before, and it was like, they're really referencing things that just came out, and I feel like that's something that you don't see a lot anymore. It might have been something from the eighties
2: yeah i i I don't know i I feel like it's in con like it's in context here, and yeah, but it's
0: it's just interesting because it assumes that the movie that they're referencing is going to still work you know decades later as a reference. That people are going to remember that that was a movie that was out,
2: right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess by the time they started shooting this, um, if not by the time they started writing it, Goodfellas had already, you know, yeah, been sure. nominated for a ton of Oscars and yeah. one.
0: Like, I'm not. Oh, I'm
2: not only referencing this as an example. There are
0: plenty of others where, you know, uh, something I, references. I can't a movie. think of. It's I, next time I notice it, I'll let you know.
2: Yeah. I mean, the only- But like, I've noticed it a few times. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking like outside of like parodies and spoofs. Right. I
0: mean, clearly people are going to be referencing movies like Jaws. Oh, you know what? There's a lot of Jaws oh. things that come up like really soon after where it's like they parody that do-do-do-do,
2: you know, the score yes. from that. Airplane.
0: Right, but I'm not talking yeah. about oh, no. parodies. Oh,
2: no. Oh, well, I didn't it just mean- All right. No, 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 yeah. no. But oh, wait, what did I have? Um. Oh, no, I just thought of a really good example of one. Shit, I lost it. It popped into my- Oh, yeah, it's- um. Knocked up, in Knocked Up, which came out in summer of two thousand seven, they referenced Spider Man three, which was out at the same time. Oh, that's right.
0: And They also talk about Munich, which was not too long oh, yeah.
2: before. So, yeah, it's <laughs> a couple kind of years funny. before. So that, yeah, okay, so that, yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. I guess the whole, but Spider- that was still Man- two
0: thousand seven. That was quite a long time ago.
2: Yeah, I'm just saying, like nowadays,
0: I, I don't really see that kind of thing happening much anymore. Anyway, no. yeah, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, we also haven't talked about Jason Robard's character who just pops up for a scene. Uh, he's the owner of the paper. And, you know, there's also this underlying plot line that's mostly with Alicia's story where it's like, you know, the paper is always in jeopardy of folding completely. That's not to say literally a paper folding. I see how that could have been confusing. But, you know, going under uh, financially and because of this ongoing threat, her job as managing editor is to, you know, cut costs any at any opportunity. And she's trying to convince Jason Robard's character to give her a promotion and, you know, renegotiate her contract and give her a raise and stuff like that. And I don't know. He it's- doesn't have
2: much tolerance for her. No, for her politicking, uh,
0: but for the scene that he's there,
2: he's great. I love that. I love that line where she's like, I guess she's she's flirting with him a little bit, yeah. And he he's tells me like, "I'm gay. I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding." Yeah, uh, he's just so good. He's great. Uh, we didn't you reference the character, but would the mom from Home Alone? The right. mom from Home Alone.
0: I is no, in well, this. <laughs> right. Well, now what is it? Lately, lately people have been like. Did you know that uh, the mom from Shit's Creek was the mom in Home Alone? Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah.
2: I know. Yeah. yeah. It's absolute insanity. Yeah. yeah Catherine like,
0: O'Hara's been around for a long time. Did you know that it.
2: an actress who acts plays multiple characters? <laughs> right.
0: And she's so good in the one scene that she's in in this. And also it's like it's such a small role for somebody who's been in already like so many big you know, big at this point, big she characters. had already
2: been the mom in Home Alone and Home Alone Two, and and Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> no, I know, and she had been other. I mean, she was in uh, at like After hour I mean, After Hours. We're talking like SCTV, seventies, sure. yeah. eighties. So, but yeah. she's
0: so good in this as the uh, the friend of Mrs. Tomes, who you know is kind of like, oh, you're not going back to work. Your life is over, <laughs> and drinking like. The largest glass of wine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Comically full uh, glass of wine. But a very real character. Totally.
2: Totally. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that she's like coming in from the burbs or something to meet up in the city. And it's like, you know, I think that she makes some sort of comment about not having been there for a while. Oh, Just so good. Lig Thinpen as Janet. Uh, we've talked about her on the podcast before. Yeah. She's always just so good. So she's kind of the I don't know, is she the assistant? Henry's assistant, maybe?
2: Yeah. 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 I like her. Uh. I, I like Lynn Thigpen when she's likable. I think because the first thing I saw her in, or at least the first thing I really remember her from was Lean on Me, mm. where she's like the parent who wants to stop Morgan Freeman from right. making the schools better or whatever. Yeah. So um, but yeah, Lynn Thigpen, uh, Fantastic! Great, like you know, you she and Michael Keaton have this great rapport that totally very, great. It's very believable for two very people believable. Who work together like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, this is such a great film. Um, you know, as we said, it's directed by Ron Howard, uh, coming off of Far and Away, and you know, doing this like really simple, closed in. Not epic movie. Of course, the next movie is Apollo 13, which is just like <laughs> huge, huge movie. But uh, it, what's it's just so fascinating to me that, I don't know, this movie kind of exists like in kind of a interesting place in his career directing. And it's almost just like this feels like, I mean, clearly he connects a lot with Apollo 13 and everything, but This feels like a more personal movie in a lot of ways. Obviously, Parenthood is a very personal movie, too.
2: But also the issues. Oh, sorry. One more nice touch that I meant to uh, bring up that uh, talking about kind of just the reality of that newsroom and being such a like just lived in, worked in place. Yeah. The Pop-Tarts in the freezer in like the little staff break room. Opens the freezer and there's a box of Pop Tarts in the freezer, and I just thought, wow, what an an amazing that's touch a nice that, touch that like you're making sure those Pop Tarts stay fresh. So that's, that's awesome. Did I did not notice that. Oh. Well, there's
0: also like the you know yeah. the the Coke vending machine that's broken or out of mm-hmm. Cokes, you know, and he has to go to the other one, and he's out of coins. So they, you know, his assistant has a little collection for him of of quarters to get more cokes. So, yeah. and anyone that... who
2: and anyone who, you know, remembers vending machines pre, you know, Apple Pay and cards Credit and all cards, that. Credit cards, yeah. Yeah, rem, like has been in that position where you've tried to scrounge up some change to to get something. But also in talking about all the wonderful character work and, you know, the the world that's that's established here there's also a really strong theme and a really strong moral question throughout throughout the film. And what I love about it is—and, like, the script does this so well—is it plants the seed that this failing, you know, kind of failing tabloid newspaper that might be trying to get taken a little bit more seriously— Missed the boat on this big story. And Henry doesn't want to miss the boat again. All
4: right. So page one, subway sounds like I would, right? Yeah. great
3: yeah. art.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't
1: think so. Uh-uh. You know, TV's going to be all over it. They already are. It's a minor derailment, first of all. And Carmen has got great day two stuff on the Williamsburg murder. If they make a bust... We have to follow up on that.
4: The subway's a major story. Nobody dies.
1: Bullshit. Yeah. Somebody got maimed.
4: Yeah, that helps.
1: Minor derailment.
4: All I'm saying is people got maimed, and we have pictures of it. God damn
1: it. So we fucked up yesterday. What do you want to tuck our tail between our legs and just take it for it? Do what everybody else does. Let's stand alone. Let's make up for it. We're commuter paper. People want the subway. What do you market research all of a sudden? Not everything is about money. <laughs> it is when you almost fold every six months. Bullshit.
2: Yeah. So you have that motivation, and then on top of that, the fact that you have this murder; these two innocent kids, really, right. I think they're like nineteen or ni- like nineteen and yeah. twenty, are are arrested. And I forget which character says it, but they make the point as. You know, it doesn't matter if they rescind the story the next day. If gotcha with these two kids on the front is the headline, then that's what it's going to be for everybody who sees it.
1: Great. Fine. Good. It's a great lead. We'll follow it up tomorrow. But without a confirmation,
4: we still run gotcha.
1: Boy, what, what if these aren't the guys? What if they're innocent?
4: We taint him today. We make him look good on Saturday. Everybody's happy.
1: (laughs) 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 Makes sense
3: to
1: me. Hey, wait a minute. This is a story that could permanently alter the public's perception of two teenagers who might be innocent and as a weekend bonus ignite another race war. How about that?
3: What do you say we think about this?
2: And it brings me back, it makes me think of, you know, Central Park Five, which, by the way, the cop, Mm -hmm. that's the cop that McDougal... yes. That they they corner was actually one of the cops from the Central Park Five case who's actually believes that they were guilty, right? Um, so you've got the power of the press and the ability of the press to to scaremonger, and that you see even in the shots of the television news when they're interviewing people at the airport at the airport, yeah, like the guy talking about his oh, brother yeah. canceled my brother
0: canceled his trip,
2: yeah. Yeah, so totally, yeah, the scaremongering and race baiting, everything that we see now, and it's more obvious to me, and I don't know if that's because it's just more out in the open to everybody, or if it's because I'm older and have, Uh you know, and have studied this and understand media better than I did when I was 17. Yeah. So to see, you know, to see it all in there. Oh, and by the way, uh, shout out to the line, um, Donald Trump jumped off a building and landed right on Madonna. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. It's always so interesting when he comes
0: up in movies and like small lines, like watching the devil's advocate recently. And there was like a, quick mention of him not to mention the fact that also his apartment was used as the apartment for the rich guy like the real estate developer who killed his family or whatever
2: anyway and i also i feel like maybe kushner owns the bill because isn't it like 666 oh um, i don't remember like madison avenue for that because probably like, <laughs> kushner owns that building oh uh, yeah
3: <laughs>
0: So uh, you can't make this shit up. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, going back to what you were saying, they really did a a respectful job showing, like, telling that story of these you know innocent black teens who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they were seen at the site where these guys had been murdered. There were there was nothing pointing them to possibly done it. There were no fingerprints on the gun. There almost were. The kid almost touched the gun, but didn't. But yeah, they just came across this. And I think that it's also mentioned how there was a shooting of just a black kid um, in the neighborhood like two weeks before that. Yeah. So the mob staged this there to pin it on just any other black kid who happened to be there, so... Yeah. And almost got away with it had it not been for the uh the talents at the sun.
2: Yeah. No, but you're you're right. It's among everything else in this movie. I mean, that's the the skill of this film is the fact that there are so many things going on. There are so many yeah. characters and each having their own lives, their own stories. And yet there are also these other things going on, these other plots, these other ideas that have meaning and that have importance. And that's why I'm just so with you on that. Like, yeah, I could probably watch this movie once a year and totally just get sucked into it every time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, one thing that we didn't even mention is that it takes place from 7 a.m. to 7 a.m. You know, it's a complete 24
2: hours and, Which the actual IMDb trivia pointed out that Imagine Entertainment produced 24, the show 24. Oh, God. Not (laughs) interesting.
0: (laughs) (sighs) Who cares? Anyway. Yeah. So in talking about the excitement of watching a movie that takes place in such a newsroom, there were a couple of other movies that I watched that I feel like are like spiritually related to the paper. I watched broadcast news, which had come out a few years earlier, uh, which takes place in a TV, a small TV station, um, which, you know, Holly Hunter, Albert Brooks, it's just, yeah, Yeah. it's Joan Cusack is brilliant. Joan Cusack is great. It's a really great movie. And I feel like it kind of has a similar, you get a similar feeling from watching it that you, then you do when you're, you know, watching the paper. Uh, I highly recommend rewatching that if you haven't seen it in a while, or watching it if you've never seen it.
2: And uh, I've, I've one, seen it before. Yeah. Oh, and, I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. yeah. No, but but I would probably just like thinking about it. It's, I'm like oh, yeah,
3: I can watch broadcast news. It has always been considered an outlaw nation, but strangely,
1: some of those who have interviewed Gaddafi find him, in a phrase we like to use in this country, very presidential. Nice change.
3: New coffee in a this. minute, then we're going to go to
1: Martin Klein at State for the message from Libya. Then you're going to have the carrier pilot from the Sidra in time to... What? No, you missed him. We only have 10 minutes left. How can you talk to me about parking problems? No, not your try. You'll do it. Do it or I'll fry your fat ass Estelle. Goodbye. I
3: had no idea she was this good. Tom.
1: Tom.
4: Phil for a second. Tom, go.
1: The latest message seems to indicate that the Libyan pilot was acting on his own without authority from anyone else. And by camera, too. In other words, I think we're all OK.
4: OK, Tom, wrap it
1: up. Who the hell cares what you think? The Libyan government has disavowed any prior knowledge of the attack. I'm Tom Grunick, reporting from Washington. Good afternoon. Animation. Thanks, everybody. We
0: are out. Another one that I watched, which is a movie that I remember when I watched it the first time. I was like, this movie's great. And as we know, everybody else agreed. And I thought to myself, I just don't know if I'll ever watch it again. It's Spotlight. And, oh, yeah. you know, we're talking about a movie where Michael Keaton plays, you know, he's the editor for the Spotlight section, but he was the Metro editor at the paper at the Boston Globe, you know, in his past. So uh, I feel like it is a spiritual relative of the paper, uh, you know, and man, what a movie. We don't have to get into that, but like,
2: yeah, that, ugh, I don't know so if I'll good. be rewatching that one, but I saw it in the theater and me too. Yeah. Yeah. A powerful film. Very powerful.
4: We just want to know if it's possible that the president, the faculty, the board, that no one knew what was going on at the time.
2: I graduated in 1979,
1: and I had no idea about any of this. So if you're suggesting that Father Gibbons and Father Callahan had it any way. Gibbons and Callahan. I mean, they were in this place like the Navy. You really think they didn't know? (sighs) It's a big school, Robbie. You know that. And and we're talking about seven alleged victims over, what, eight years? we're talking about, you know, something that we know about. <laughs>
2: this is ridiculous. You're, you're reaching for a story right here. We Jack, you know, Jack, Jack. If I had been president then, I would have known. Well, Bill, I'm not sure that's
3: uh,
2: relevant. Why do you think they sent Talbot up to Cheverus?
3: You know they wanted him out of town. <clears throat> Robbie, as well-intentioned as Bill's remarks are, I'm hoping we can keep this between us until we all get on the same page.
1: Is that why we're here, to get on the same page? No, we're here because you're an important alumnus, Robbie, and a friend. Exactly. And we know you care about the school as much as we do. Did you play a sport here, Jack? Yeah, football. Why? Hmm. I ran track. You know, I went to Providence yesterday. I talked to one of Father Talbot's victims. He played hockey here. And um, he was one of the better ones. He's got a wife, kids, good job. Put 10 minutes into the conversation, guy breaks down. You know, couldn't stop crying. Said he could never figure out why Father Talbot picked him. Father Talbot coached the hockey team. So, I guess we just got lucky. You know me?
0: Well deserving of all of the accolades. That's all I yeah. got to say.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, so, yeah, I don't know. So Dan, what would you do with the paper
2: if you were forced to bring it back in some way? It's a tough question because I think there's a lot of options that could work. And if you're if you're doing let's say if you're remaking it, well, you've got a whole different news environment to to work with. In thinking of a remake, though, I kept kind of hitting the same wall where I was like, well, Newsroom did the Aaron Sorkin series, you know, kind of like covered that, like, you know, journalism in the 21st century. Sure. So yeah. I, I think I would still I, – I but I think if I was going to see a, um you know, a remake of it, I would keep it at a print newspaper but add – that to the, the pressures, the financial pressures, is that just not just, oh, people aren't reading our paper, but just that people aren't buying papers.
0: Yeah, which comes it, up in Spotlight. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, takes place in 2000, 2001, probably through 2003. And, uh, you know, it's really at this time where the Internet is taking away their funding from the classifieds and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. They just don't get the money that they used to.
2: So I was thinking about that and just thinking like, all right, a lot. But I I was also thinking that like, well, a remake of the paper would probably just blend in and would not, I don't know, not really do anything. It would probably be something that would even end up on like Netflix. Yeah. I just, I, I don't think it would have that the same. I don't think there's a good enough reason to remake it. Whereas making a sequel would allow you to show that and show, okay, well, let's say Henry is the editor-in-chief now. Maybe it's the son. Maybe it's not the son because, mm-hmm. you know, it's there's a good chance the Sun wouldn't exist anymore or that it would have been absorbed into another paper. Henry is working, you know. Oh, I
0: thought you were talking about uh, Henry's child.
2: Oh. The, sun, <laughs> the son, the S-O-N. Well, we would find out what happens with him cuz he would be, you know, I guess, you know, approaching 30. Yeah. Um and you have a lot of you have a lot of options. I mean, god, like depending on when you set this, you know, if you're covering 2015 to 2020 working in in journalism is just like being in the middle of a cyclone 24/7.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
2: So I don't know exactly what the story is because I don't know that you necessarily like, clearly you could kind of have a similar story going on about, you know, um, black men being framed for something or being accused of something and having Henry like reconcile it. But the thing is, if you're setting this in whatever, you know, 2020 to 2025, you know, he's already reconciled that he's already come back to that several times (laughs)
0: right so for sure unfortunately it's an evergreen topic
2: unfortunately yeah it is and i but i also think that it does that means it also doesn't need to wouldn't need to be the focus of a sequel i think a sequel could see really the maybe it's that the paper is going out of business and maybe what we're seeing in the sequel is what happens to a staff of journalists who have been doing this for such a long time and you know, you you have still got, you got Michael Keaton, Marissa Tomei, Glenn Close if she's still there. I mean, Duval. I with that cough, I don't think Duval made it. Yeah, Duval. I don't. I yeah,
0: yeah. Bernie's gone.
2: Bernie did. I don't think Bernie. You know, made it, and I don't think we're bringing back Randy Quaid either. So. Um, no. But it would be, I think, like writing off McDougal would just be like, I don't know. No one's seen McDougal since '96 when he just yeah. <laughs> like I, I flew off into that the sky after the spaceship. But I, I think, a sequel bringing back, bringing back a lot of these characters. Who knows? Maybe Robin is she's uh, the she's the photo editor. editor. Now. Yeah. No. She, maybe she's yeah. like you know. Yeah. Or she's the, she's the online editor. She manages yeah. something like that, you know, bring back. I was thinking watching her, I was like, oh, she almost looks like a young Amanda Plummer. She does. Yeah. Um, absolutely does. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you get Amanda Plummer to play Robin. I, who knows? <laughs> but you could bring, you know, there's a lot of people that you can bring back, but also bringing in new, new characters that I don't want to be stereotypical with like, you know, the young character who's always talking about tweeting and online presence and like yeah. Ben Schwartz's character on space force. Oh um, my God. It's so good. So like, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't like, that just seems so stereotypical to be like, Oh, these kids and their electronic devices and they're taking yeah, over everything. No, I would dumb. rather, I would rather really just see like how, what does a newspaper do when they know they're not going to be, continuing to report the news. And right. what how do you keep how because you can't just like maybe it's fade about the last out.
0: edition, you know, putting out the last it's edition that, of the maybe sun. it's
2: that 24 hours. It's the yeah. last, you know, 7 p.m. to seven and maybe that 7 a.m. is, you know, that's the beginning of of retirement. And we really? could end it almost in that same way, except for maybe not in a hospital bed, but just like, you know, it's Michael Keaton and Marissa Tomei and the sun's coming up and Wow! I don't have to go to work today.
0: Yeah, and everyone's wondering how Marissa Tomei looks better now than she did then. Somehow.
2: <laughs> so yeah, uh, I don't know. It's like it's like Marisa Tomei, and uh, I, I was I was gonna say this about Walter Matthau when we watched Grumpy o, Grumpy Old Men, but like, how is it that they've aged maybe five years in twenty? Because Walter Matthau, Grumpy Old Men, and Walter Matthau, Bad News Bears, yeah. Look about five years difference. Pretty much. Yeah. Marissa Tomei, the paper, and Marissa Tomei, I get like the paper too. Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sp- Spider-Man. I mean, oh God, she's so good. I just started going off on a mental tangent of all of the amazing Marissa Tomei performances <laughs> that I could think. She's of. great. Yeah. What would you do? I would go down a very different
0: path. Ah. So there are there are two different ways that I could see this happening. I could see it. As a prequel where Henry and Alicia are maybe in school for journalism together and they are like partners and they're like and something divides them, which is, you know, really leading up to what's going on in the paper. But I I think that what I would really love to see and what I was really feeling while I was watching it is just a stage adaptation. Mm. You know, this could work so well on stage the set pieces are awesome. They don't have to be as elaborate as they are in the in the movie. But um, I think that it would work really well on stage. I mean, you direct for the stage. So maybe you'd have a difference of opinion there. But um, I don't know. I could just totally see it working. Because this is a, you know, it's a character piece. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's... Just like wall-to-wall dialogue and I don't know, it's just, it's that's the fun part to watch and that's where a lot of the
2: good stuff comes out. It would be a lot of fun on stage, not as a musical. Uh, not I as a musical. I assume you mean not as a musical, yeah. Not as a musical, just stage play. Yeah.
0: Um, I, w- I was even thinking like when they're down in like the press room and there's all the paper machinery, it's like a projection could be, you know, a cool way of doing that, you know, that that evokes that, that feeling. Oh,
2: you would use a lot of projection because you'd have to show like you'd be like you'd be opening with all just projections of all of the different newspaper covers that print. So like this, like oh, this yeah. is how I would start it is like just either with a screen or curtain on stage and have the projections of all the other newspapers getting it. And then the last one that comes up dead spot in the middle is the sun with like parking tickets.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And um, yeah, I mean, you, you would definitely need to scale it down and do some character consolidation. I don't know if Phil would make it to the, uh to the stage. Right, why version. not? Well, either that or Phil's character would have to be combined, would have to be, to use a term from parenthood, an amalgam of mm. like the clint howard jeffrey owens how about you
0: also need the other I, people who are at the same level as phil to kind of doing like pranks on him and stuff and i don't know i i think that you could totally uh, you would, have a phil that's separate from there
2: yeah yeah no there's certain things that you would need to do but and and adjust but uh it, oh, it well, could, totally. i think it could work hmm?
0: yeah. Oh, yeah oh just totally uh, oh I'd, yeah yeah I'm just. I'm trying to think of some of lot the sequences. Of
2: yeah, yeah. Um, God, the the interview at the Sentinel. That would be. Oh my God, that'd be awesome. That would be great. Or I guess you know what you would do is you'd have like actors doubling. So like like the actor that plays I Clint Howard's character would play the Spaulding Gray character. Uh, yeah, but
0: it couldn't be somebody as recognizably Clint Howardy as Clint Howard. <laughs> well, no, I'm assuming
2: Clint Howard is not going to come back to
0: no, do no, the no. But I'm saying play. Clint Howardy, you know. Yes somebody who has such a oh, specific yeah. look yeah no no no.
2: yeah it would be much less uh clint howardy person
0: yeah so uh yeah i think that we've got some good ideas cooking and yeah, you know but- for for a, a, such a perfect movie i you know I, and this is a lot of one this is one where a lot of people would probably say like nope don't touch it but
2: i mean i've i've felt uh, this isn't the first time where i've thought about this movie and thought you know a sequel to this could work Sure. But yeah. a, a prequel could also work. I mean, you know. You, you could focus on Robert
0: Duvall's character in a prequel. You know, there are so many stories you that could you could really
2: get into. If Disney was to buy this property, Disney could just make separate series and movies about all the characters. The McDougal files. Like with Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> the, the McDougal files. Like, you know, Bernie's brood. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it would just be uh, Bernie, uh, the paper story. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. So th- there's you a could lot do a whole rich... prequel on Catherine O'Hara's character Susan. You could. And by the way, let's point out because I think like running time of movies is something that like that that's a it's a thing. I feel like more like the last ten years, I feel like movies have gotten to be a little too long. Like, they're just a little little much, a little overindulgent. And the paper, for all of its characters and all of its plot lines... It's tight. ...and stories, yep, comes in like there is not a moment wasted.
0: You even get a full story on Sandusky. You really get his character and everything about him in his, like, brief interactions with Robert Duvall. And then when he's just saying, like... You know, these problems were there before I started. And McDougal's just like, well, you're the guy that's there now when we're doing the story. So, sorry. And, you know, you you get him. You understand this guy. You get his perspective. Who, you get Sandusky's perspective. Yeah, you don't even see until the end. Yeah. No, you hear about him the whole time. You hear about him. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's great. Great reveal. Uh, so, Dan, why don't we tell everybody yeah. this is episode 94. We're talking about 1994 as the paper. Next episode is episode 95. What movie from 1995 are we going to be talking about?
2: Oh, wow. Well, when it comes to 1995, what other movie would we be talking about other than Waterworld? Oh, man. I, you know, as we're just, as you just mentioned
0: it, I'm thinking of things that even already exist that are keeping this property alive. (laughs) But this is definitely one of those like weird cult classics that's, you know, popular for the weird, the weirdest reasons. And, there, are, uh, I mean, some yeah. people, there are people who, who love it. And I have a fun, uh, personal story having to do with, with actually I have two personal stories having to do with Waterworld. Oh, okay. We'll get oh. to that. That's Wait. what we call a little cliffhanger,
2: a little, you know, little dangling tease. the,
0: uh, the banana for the
2: monkey. That's a thing people say, right? Um, I usually do carrot on a stick, you know?
0: No, I'm going the for little, banana for the monkey. The ba- so the banana Dan, for the monkey? All right. So, Dan, while yeah. you are chasing down your car that's being towed, I wish you a good journey.
2: Good journey.